Hello, friends. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge Levoit, and I'm here with Jimmy, the amazing talking table. Hi, it is I, Jimmy, the amazing, awesome talking table. Oh, man, you had to add awesome. I had to add that extra adjective because I'm just cool like that. You're just back to being awesome again. I'm just, you know, using my privilege. <laughs> but we don't get political. <laughs> so, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. Holy cow. Oh, wait a second. That's the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> that's, that's baseball, right? Yeah, that's baseball. Some little known it, American sport called baseball. It, it, I think it's a little league game, right? I don't know. I don't know how big the league is. Yeah. Doesn't matter to me how big the league is. So That's hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. That's so uh, we just led off with sports, which is maybe some of the it might be one of the things we shouldn't talk about on the podcast. Yeah, because we don't talk about politics. Yeah. So like whatever. Hey, so I was thinking about how there's always fallout for your convictions. Sure. So like when you when you have conviction about something, there's potential for a fallout. And I'm not sure how to get into this without getting too terribly political, but your best friend is gay and they get married. And your conviction is that you should not attend a gay wedding. That's going to create some problems. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe though. I mean, like if, if they're your best friend, then they probably already understand your position on such issues. And they, I mean, ultimately somebody's going to have to make a decision of, are they going to allow their feelings regarding their marriage and whether somebody else accepts their marriage or not to influence if they can continue to be friends? Cause that could be something that fractures the friendship. But it's ultimately going to depend on how the two parties decide to work on it. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, like, I mean, that's one example. That's a pretty drastic example. Right. But, um, I mean, another example of a conviction could be like, uh, I don't eat bacon. Right. And so it's like I come over to someone's house and they're serving bacon. There's a follow-up for my conviction because I can say, well, I don't eat bacon. You have to serve me something else. Or do I do I give up that conviction for that moment? That's what that's what there... you tell them. You only eat birthday cake that has a gay wedding logo on top of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. It's funny because like even the whole gay wedding thing, I think there are there are Christians who are completely affirming. There's Christians who are unaffirming, right? Right. And like for an affirming Christian, that'd be easy. They'd just be like, yeah, I can love my friend by coming to their wedding. No problem. If you're unaffirming, it's like you either don't attend the wedding or you attend the wedding, but say like, but I don't condone this. Or I don't know. Like, I don't know. It, when it comes to people's lives, I guess... I guess for me, my struggle with it is, is like, am I holding to my convictions for my own sake? 
right? right? Am I holding to my convictions because I'm worried about what other people in my church would think? Am I holding right. to my convictions because I'm worried about what God would think? God would be angry with me if I ate this bacon. Let's keep it at the harmless one. All right. God would be mad at me if I ate this bacon. And like at that level, I'm kind of like, I don't know if God would really be mad at you for eating the bacon. <laughs> I don't know if God would be angry with you for a lot of things that you do right. out of love for another person. And like personally, I'd rather err on love. And so I know that if my conviction is to be more um, accepting of people, despite the way people read the Bible, then the fallout of that is that my more conser conservative brethren will be more willing to kick me out of the faith because I'm mm -hmm. not scriptural. And that's, that's the fallout for me. And I think that's the difficulty with trying to be that bridge is that often I'm more willing to bridge between me and the atheists than I am to bridge between me and my fundamentalist brother. You, you know, even if you were to bring it into the realm of not even necessarily gay marriage, but like there are people I know who that they've had family not attend their wedding because they did not approve of the marriage and it was a, a, a heterosexual marriage uh -huh. like they just thought like nope you guys are a terrible match for whatever reason I do not support you getting married to this person I don't think they really love you or I think they are a psychopath or I don't this that or the other you know whatever the reason is and I've known people who um like a friend of mine that I just had dinner with tonight her own father did not attend her wedding hmm. because he strongly disagreed with the guy that she was getting married to what was and, the fallout of him not attending that wedding um well he just wasn't the wedding he just wasn't at the wedding and you know it put a strain on the relationship obviously between her husband and her father um yeah. there's obviously a you know a uh issue there um but like they're civil about their relationship but they're not like oh son oh father like you know they don't have that sort of relationship from what i understand they're not um, super so, tight right no they're not tight at all he has no interest and in, like they have no interest in being tight it's pretty much a professional relationship at this point um and that puts strain on the daughter still like because she wishes she had a father who accepted her husband yeah um and and you know she wishes her husband could you know be happy about his father-in-law but uh they're not and you know so i don't think it necessarily like, sometimes it's just like you have to sit there and think and especially since it's a common um like liturgical element of a lot of weddings for ministers to allude to or make reference to or even ask the congregation to participate in the vows it would be like do you all who are a witness here today vow to 
uh, support this holy marriage and blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. so sometimes that happens. And, you know, so, you know, it, it's it's more than, for some people, it's more than do, am I just going to be a bystander there who's saying, you know, I love you and I'm here for you no matter what, but it's an issue of, can I truly support this union? And, you know, I think, you know, whether it's straight marriage or gay marriage or whatever, like sometimes there might be somebody you just believe is terribly not matched. And I would Mm -hmm. say, you know, maybe this, uh, her father has legitimate reason why he's not supportive of her marrying this guy. Um, And I know the reason I'm not going to get in, I'm not going to air their, their business like that um, as to why he disapproves. Um, But uh, you know, that could be a situation where, He's like a serial killer. Think, <laughs> right, he could be a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> she, she married o, she married O.J. Simpson. Uh, <laughs> you know, would, would you support your daughter marrying O.J. Simpson? Would you go to that wedding? Well, that seems like that could be a legitimate, re, uh, legitimate like saying, no, honey, I'm going to pass on that one. O.J. didn't do um, it, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, you know, and, and I've known of, I, I've known of like, like I will say my ex, for example, uh-huh. um, her, her prior ex, uh, they were wanting to get married and her parents radically disagreed with them getting married and they were just going to give them money and tell them go to Vegas. They weren't going to attend. Um, so, you know, because they just so strongly disapproved with the guy she was okay. marrying. It seems to me though, like in all these situations, you're kind of siding with the person who's got the convictions and sticking to them. Do you think that there's any scenario where the conviction itself is ridiculous and it's not worth think, destroying relationships over? Yeah, I, I think I think there could definitely be like ridiculous reasons like, oh, he has red hair and I hate red hair people or hey, he's a Republican. You know, I, I just think that there's, I don't know, like my, what I know, the God that I know isn't nitpicky about this kind of stuff, you know, like, and I mean, like if you're, somebody is getting married to someone that you're like, I don't know if this is a good idea, or I think this is a bad idea. It's like, is me being at the wedding mean that I contributed to the sin of this marriage? I mean, the wedding would happen either way, right? And I think that there's just a lot of scenarios where we hold so tight to our convictions, but don't care what the fallout is. And I feel like this is very much a Christian thing within Christian culture where it's like, I am not doing this. The world says we must do this, but I am not doing this. Halloween, Halloween. This is actually what sparked this whole thought to me. Was the whole huh. idea of like the, the the family that chooses not to celebrate Halloween and they put up a sign on their doorstep that says, we do not celebrate Halloween. And I'm like, okay, so you're holding to your convictions because you're, you're afraid that it has like demonic roots. Okay, that's fine. I, I understand that. But you also had to put a sign to tell everyone we don't celebrate right. this evil hall all the day. And I'm like, right. what's the fallout of this? 
And I think the fallout for a lot of Christian convictions like this is that people are like, oh, I get it. You're part of an exclusive club that nobody wants to be a part of. That's the fallout. And I'm not saying it's totally, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have that sign up, but I'm just saying that's what the fallout actually is. So you have to question, and it's the same thing with, you know, like your gay friend, same thing with your daughter who's marrying a guy you don't approve of. You have to really sit down and say, okay, is this conviction really worth the fallout that I know is going to happen? And I think that's something we all have to evaluate. What is the fruit of my conviction? Because if the fruit of my conviction is not love, I may be doing the wrong thing. All I know is if some kid comes to my door asking for candy and he's dressed up like O.J. Simpson, no candy. <laughs> I, I'm thinking a lot about like um, that concept, greater love has no man um, mm. than to lay down his life. And I actually talked about this with my atheist friend, Matt Oxley. And um, I thought something that was really interesting because I was, I, I was basically saying like that um, we always take it as like, I would take a bullet for you. Should that very unlikely scenario happen, I would take a <laughs> bullet for you. Right. And we leave it at that. And I'm like, the reality is, what is love? Like, love is right. laying down your ego. Like, sure, you take a bullet for me, but would you lay down your ego? Right. And come to my gay wedding? I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, right? Like, it's like, right. I think there are some things, you know, there are some scenarios. And I mean, what's really interesting, and this has kind of come together for me over this last week, is like, I did that episode with Matt, and he said, something along the lines of, it seems to me you love your God more than me. To which I think a lot of Christians would say, um, duh, of course I love my <laughs> God more than you, right? But that's right. not like, that's not a compliment coming from an atheist. They're like, yeah. you love your God more than me and your God is not love. Like that's what they see, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about like, okay, so greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. But it's like, am I willing to lay down my theology for a friend am i willing to lay down you know my convictions right. for a friend sometimes because that's the right I, thing I, to do like it's sometimes the loving thing to do is to say all right i'm gonna risk this right because i want to make sure you're okay i want to well, make sure I that mean, you feel loved i mean but is it necessarily the loving thing to be there at the wedding if you think it's the wrong thing to do like John the Baptist had no problem calling out Herod saying, hey, Herod, you know, uh, there's somebody you're married to right now, and it's unlawful for you to have her, you know, to his present wife. Well, you know, that probably made Herod feel kind of excluded from the kingdom of God. That probably made Herod's wife feel a little excluded from the kingdom of God. But John the Baptist, you know, had no problem saying, hey, Herod, like right to his face. And you what know, was with an earshot? What was the fruit of you his know, conviction? The fruit of his conviction? Um, I don't. He he lost his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, like, um, I I so, I think it's possible that John the Baptist did the wrong thing. You know, later yeah, on, later on in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul says, "Don't Oops. judge those outside of the church." Right. Right. And, you know, and so it's like, and so I, I question whether he did the right thing by calling him out for that. It's like, how did that, that didn't help anything. 
it I got mean, him. technically, Herod was part of the covenant community, so. Was he? At that time. Yeah, he was a Jew, so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not going to judge John the Baptist, but I'm like, I don't know if that's a right. great example of conviction leading I, I, to good fruit. Yeah, I don't know. Right? Um, maybe, maybe not, but I, I still think there's a, a like, I, I, I don't necessarily think that showing up and supporting somebody that you don't support, somebody you believe is genuinely making a grave mistake, like, yeah, sometimes that's going to cause a fracture in a relationship. But not just because it causes a fractured relationship doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. Um, sometimes relationships have to suffer such fractures. Um, and, you know, that can be a good thing in and of itself. Um, not as a, well, I need to do this so I can keep myself holy and pure. Like, I'm not going to go to a gay wedding and all of a sudden, like, you know, that was a really touching ceremony let me see if I can find a dude to kiss. Like it, I'm not going to worry about like going to like a gay wedding and catching it, you know? That so, wedding was so like, good. I want a man. Right. Like, man, like he, like his white tux was just so dashing. Like, yeah. I, like I don't, I don't see that as an issue. But and honestly, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like threatened in it all at like my personal conviction. I wouldn't feel threatened like, or I don't, I don't think it would be, wrong for me to go to a gay wedding. I don't think it would be uh, bad for me to refrain either. Um, I think it's like one of those issues that, you know, the apostle Paul talks about us having our own um, conviction, whatever your conviction yeah. you have, have it happy before the Lord. Yeah. It's like um, the food sacrifice to an idol. Right. Right. And so if you can do it in a clean conscious, you know, do it in a clean conscious. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it with a clean conscious, then don't. Yeah. And then don't yeah. judge those who do. <laughs> well, and I think this is the thing too. Like it's the whole, like if it offends a brother, don't do it. Right. And people right. tend to use that for like alcohol. How dare well, then, you drink alcohol in then front I'll of be me? Th right? Then I'll be sure to never marry a dude. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, like to me, when I read that scripture that says, don't do things that are going to cause a weaker brother to fail. I don't look at that and say, Hey, I'm the weaker brother. So here's a list of all the things you guys can't do in front of me, right? Like I look right. at that and I'm like thinking, don't be quick to offend. Don't be quick to right. be offended. I'm like, I want to try to make life easier for those around me. I want to make life yeah. better for those around me. So if I'm going to have convictions, I want to make sure those are convictions in which I have counted the cost. And I know that the right. fruits of my conviction are going to be good. And that I'm not right. just trying to save my own neck all the time. Because I think it's right. like, I think a lot of times where Christians get to is they're like, well, God's going to be mad at me for endorsing another person's sin by pretending I'm okay with it. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if God's going to be mad at you for that. Especially when you got somebody who's been told all of their life that what they do or who they are is a sin. And you're like, should I be one more Christian to pile on top of them? Or do I give this person unconditional love because whatever they're doing isn't really harming me anyways, isn't really harming anyone anyways. I just know that if I was in that position, I would like to think I would make a different choice, right? And that, mm -hmm. I, I think that's what it comes down to. And so I'm like, I think there's like almost an element of selfishness to holding to 
your own convictions in a way because you're just like i'm just trying to cover my own butt here and yeah. it doesn't matter who i hurt i'm gonna cover my butt and so right. i don't know i i just think that we all need to evaluate our convictions and even me and my you know god is love conviction i know that there are going to be a lot of that's people crazy that's alienated <laughs> by me being fixated on his love and not on right. his justice when it comes to personal sins that don't hurt other people well if you're going to err on anything i'd rather you err on the side of love so don't encourage me jimmy <laughs> okay i i was listening to this podcast where they were talking about forgiveness and i think this is another really interesting kind of christian concept you know with forgiveness because people are kind of like well if i forgive someone that means i now need to be okay with them this person abused me, but now I need right. to be okay with them. And I think there's kind of a mistaken, not giving people actual consequences for their actions, replatforming right. people that shouldn't be replatformed and all this stuff. But I, I really liked this um, statement that a psychologist made on um, the You Have Permission podcast with Dan Koch. Um, she said, I want good things for you, but not with me. And I was like, wow. And I'm sure there's people you can think of, Jimmy, that you know you have to cut out of your life. But right. in order to forgive them, you can look at them and say, I want good things with for you, but right. not with me. And I'm like, that, right. is, that is beautiful. Right. Oh, yeah. For, I, I definitely believe that 100%. I believe you can forgive somebody, but there is a point. But forgiving somebody is not the same as two walking together in agreement. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I think, you know, if there is a bond that's broken for whatever reason, like you can forgive that, but that doesn't mean you automatically rejoin those broken links. Exactly. Um, and, and because some things like it, it's a matter of rest, like there's forgiveness and then there's restoration. Um, and restoration takes two people working things out together to mutually agree upon, um, you know, a process and an end result um, and what that's going to look like. It's going to be a negotiated relationship. You're gonna be, it's going to involve people acknowledging that their sins, confessing their sins, asking for forgiveness, and then moving forward. Um, but there are some relationships that maybe you even shouldn't try mm -hmm. um, as far as that goes. Like, I would not be like, Hey, that guy who molested you over there when you were a child, uh, you not only need to forgive him, but you need to go meet with him weekly at Starbucks and talk about life. Like, no, I, I don't think that needs to happen. Like there's, there's just some doors that need to remain shut. Um, and there's some roles we are no longer meant to play. That's not to yeah. say that, um, that's not to say like that person can't find redemption, hope, forgiveness, restoration, and other things of their lives, um, but and that they can't go on to have a beautiful life. But it, it's gonna, it, you can't just like, oh, I forgave you, and just act like nothing happened, and like everything's just hunky dory all of a sudden. That, that's that's not forgiveness. That's just allowing yourself to be a doormat. That's faking um, that's it not, too, isn't it? Like yeah, that's not real. A, absolutely. Yeah. That's like. That's 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 allowing the person. That's refusing to allow the person to acknowledge their area, uh, their error, and yeah. you know it's it's like the concept of justice 
and the Bible is not about getting back at somebody, but it's about the shalom of God, the, the wholeness of God, the, the making of the world and the way the world ought to be. And so long as, the, and as our part as a Christian, we should forgive people immediately when they've sinned against us. It may take a process and we may not get there overnight, um, but we need to practice forgiveness. Can we that forgive? Doesn't mean, can we forgive Chris Pratt though? <laughs> what did Chris Pratt do? I don't know. He posted a weird message about his wife. Oh, I, I, and I have you no know, idea. It's quite interesting. Sorry, totally, in, totally changing the <laughs> subject. What am I doing? ADD masterminds. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, okay, so Chris Pratt he made this post, and it was about his wife. And there were a couple things that stuck out to me. Um, one part was that like, you know, like she does everything for me and she's so good for me. And all I have to do is open a couple pickle jars once in a while. And then, <laughs> and then he said, and she's given me, you know, a healthy, beautiful daughter and all this stuff. Right. And then it came out later. I saw on Twitter, somebody was saying like, um, his, uh, ex-wife has a son who's very unhealthy for him to say oh. that he's got a healthy daughter with her was one thing. But I think there was like just kind of an element of like this whole like my wife serves me really well. The photo right. he showed was her looking adoringly at him and all this stuff. And it just it was very it was very evangelical and very complementarian yeah. the way that it came off. And it was kind of interesting because I read it to someone who's very plugged into the evangelical community. And after they heard it, they was like, I don't see, I don't hear anything wrong with that. And then I'm just like thinking anybody outside of the evangelical community will listen to that and be like, this is weird. Right. And I was like, I don't want to get into gossiping about Chris Pratt or anything, right. but like between him, that post, um, John Piper and some of his weird articles that he's been coming out <laughs> with, um, there was like this whole thing with, uh, Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort had what made this. He made what this post. To Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort made a post about like the reason why we say grace before our dinner is because we don't deserve anything. Like that was kind of what he was saying, and I'm like, okay, so now we have to feel bad about eating too. Like, and it, right, and it's just there's just like evangelicalism is like a parallel universe, and people live in that parallel universe. And the world looks and sees that sign that says, we don't celebrate Halloween. And they're like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm kind of glad it's an exclusive club I don't have to be a part of, right? <laughs> and again, I'm right. not saying that this means that we have zero convictions ever, but I think, again, it's kind of like, what is the fruit of our convictions? And maybe, right. maybe some of the negativity of that fruit you're okay with, but it's like, it'd right. be nice if more Christians were aware of the negativity of the, of the fruit. Sure. Oh, okay. So this, this was really interesting. There's a scripture that says when you have kind of like a fallout with somebody at the church, treat them as an unbeliever. Right. And one of my, one of my friends had said to me, you realize that when it says treat them as an unbeliever, it's like Christians have been doing this wrong. Because how do we treat unbelievers? We love them. Mm. We don't shun them. We love right. them. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is crazy talk. 
Right. Because all this time we're like, treat them as an unbeliever. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to pretend I don't know you anymore. Right. And it's like, it's crazy to think that that somebody who's outside of your faith community, those should be the people that we're loving and we're taking care of. And it's like more so, right? Like, it's like, we got to shower them in love, right? And show them that this is a community that we're, we're trying to reach out to you, right? And it's like, so you've got somebody who has a falling out with the church to treat them as an unbeliever is to actually actively seek them out and help them. And I'm like, when we talk about all these people who are deconstructing, I feel like what the church has done is said, oh, you question this? All right, well, you're now saying bad things about the church, so we shun you. And then all of that conversation about what's wrong with the church happens in isolation. And the evangelicals continue on their merry way, reading John Piper articles, (laughs) completely unaware that their post about their wife and how she does everything for him and he only opens up pickle jars doesn't phase them because that's the society they live in. And they're completely like not self-aware of right. what that looks like. Well, I mean, Jesus said we all have our own blind spots. You know, we all see the, the log in somebody else's yeah. eye. We all see the speck of dust in somebody else's eye and ignore the, the beam sticking out of ours. So like we all, it's not just an evangelical thing. We're, we're all prone to those sort of lack of self-awareness uh, and being spiritually dense um, when it comes to things. So I don't think it's just an evangelical phenomenon. I think it's a human phenomenon. It is, but I think evangelicalism has a system that keeps that in place. Yeah, we definitely, nice we definitely have our systems of... aware of that because I think right, it's Right, we definitely it's have failing. our systems of thought that, that have trapped people into thinking like that and make them completely unaware because... Like, it's almost like there's a rush in competitiveness. Like, when I hear the Ray Comfort thing, I, I didn't see it personally or hear about it personally until you brought it up. But when I hear things like that, I hear, like, somebody feeling the need to flex the reformed theological muscles so that they can, you know, virtue signal to other people how reformed they are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's – and, I mean, part of it is know your audience, and maybe that right. wasn't his audience. But I think, like – and I mean, it's probably taken out of context and maybe there's a better context for it and all this stuff. But, right. um, it's just interesting because I think it's like, but at some level, I feel like there's a whole lot of people that are kind of like, I don't care what the world thinks. The world doesn't know what love is anyways. And so yeah. it's like, our love is better. And it's like, yeah, you know, I kind of see people outside the church being more accepting and more loving than the people in the church. That's what I see. That's my perception. You could do what it, what you want with that. Um, you could decide that it's just because I'm so sinful that I don't know what love <laughs> is anymore, but this right. is what I see. And yeah, so, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily see it. I think it's just, I don't see it like that person. I mean, there's definitely, people outside the church are more loving than people inside the church, no question. Um, whether like, you know, one culture is inherently more loving than the other. Um, you know, I, I can't say that because I, at least for me, I've been very fortunate to know a lot of very loving Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, even 
Christians who have very strong opinions about things, but like they just radiate love. And, you know, and sometimes I think, especially in the internet, when you can't hear the inflection of somebody's voice and you don't really know them, you just see the 140 characters that, that somebody banged out on Twitter. Like, you know, it's really, sometimes it's really hard to get a read of where somebody's often coming from. But I mean, I see, you know, just as hateful, nasty stuff on far left, progressive, atheist, militant, atheist type stuff. Like, like, honestly, I would, I dare say, like, I don't know too many uh, militant, uh, like hyper aggressive, militant, atheist type people that I would consider loving people. Um, like, that's not to say they don't exist, but I would say, you know, like, no, they, they have a dogmatic militant attitude that's just as cancerous as some of the stuff you see in the church. Um, and so I don't think it's unique to, and so I, I can't throw, it's, I can't throw evangelicals in the church under the bus like that, even though there's definitely those people that exist, but, you know, I Honestly, I'd go to bat for my fellow evangelicals and the amount of love I've seen them show. That's not to say I wouldn't like bust some of their knuckles gladly. Absolutely. Uh, there's definitely a lot of knuckles who need to be uh, busted. Um, and uh, some people really need to be taken to the rack <laughs> and learn to love people. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see it as, as like, oh, man, there's all these just you know, tremendous outsiders who are just great at loving people at ways that shame the church. Like, yeah, that's true sometimes, but I don't, I, I, I think that's a, a unfortunate character that doesn't hold up. Well, I think there's something, my too, experience. there's something too about being flexible with your convictions that makes it easier to appear more loving. Now, right. whether that, well, like, whether that love is more legit or less legit, maybe that's what the right. debate is. Because yeah. I think like there's, and it's like my friend um, Matt says, seems to me that you love your God more than you love me. And yeah. I know that a whole lot of evangelicals I know would not see that as an indictment. Mm. And I still see that as an indictment. I'm like, if my God is truly love, there should be very rare occasions where my love does not look like love. Instead, right. it's not the exception. It seems to be the rule. And mm. I, that's, what's, that's what bothers me. And maybe it's because of the type of conversations we're having. And it's not necessarily sure. the fault of the way that, you know, people really are. It's just we'd much rather right. talk about what we disagree about then we would right. talk about what we do agree about. And I think maybe that's what it is, is that conversation. And I think this is where we get back to bridge building. It's like right. if we could actually sit down with people and talk about what we agree about first. Right. We establish that goodwill and then we can start going into how we diverge. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like for example, <laughs> uh, and in all my life's happening recently, I've been reaching out to some old friends and reconnecting with some old friends. And one of those old friends uh, was actually a girl I went out with a couple of times, like 10 or more than 10 years ago. And, uh, and we, but we just ended up being friends. We had met on a dating website, but we just ended up being friends. Well, I haven't seen her in a long time and I reconnected with her recently. 
And this girl that I went out with a couple of times, 10 years ago, she's now been in a committed, loving lesbian relationship um, hmm. for the past, you know, six years. And uh, I've sat down with her and her lesbian uh, girlfriend and had dinner with them multiple times, ran out, got some sushi one night, kind of uh -huh. on a spur of the moment uh, sort of thing. I've even gone to church with them. Are they, are they uh, fantastic and, people? Uh, yeah, I like them. They're good. Yeah. Uh, like now, I mean, <laughs> that's not to say they don't have their issues. And I, they're quite a, they're quite an eccentric couple. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, it's some interesting issues. But it was interesting because they invited me to go to their church and I went to their church. And it's particularly interesting because the church they go to is a King James only fundamentalist church. Wow. Uh, here. Yeah, I know. Right. And uh, that's quite the message. Yeah, I was like, some of these things don't add up. Like, hey, we used to date, and now you're you're dating a girl, um, and uh, you, you weren't much on religion, but now both of you, both of you, go, invite me to go to your King James fundamentalist uh, church. Like, I was like, I, I told them, I was like, you know, I I saw that church once and thought about going there. Then I went on their website and I found like they were King James only. And I was just like, ah, I just can't swing that. And, uh, but here are two of my friends who are lesbians going to a King James only. And I was like, well, how does the church feel about that? And she's like, well, we don't exactly come in holding hands in the sanctuary mm -hmm. on Sunday mornings, mm -hmm. but she's like, she's like, I don't think people are exactly dumb. Mm -hmm. Um, but they've been like, she's like, but we love it here and it's a great church. And so I went to a uh, big Sunday outdoor service they had, and the church had a big barbecue after the service, and I went to it and had a had a gay old time, and awesome. <laughs> and uh, I've invited them to come to my church sometime. So, okay. you know, uh, talk about building some bridges. Um, yeah. Well, that's uh, it. It's like people are people, and it's like right. how do we how do we meet people where they're at? Right. Because I mean, in the end, it's like, I, I don't know if it matters, like what kind of, you know, what do people do on their free time? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's none of my business, right? Like it's right, right. Yeah. Hey, so yeah. it's, it's fall and the leaves are dying, Jimmy. They're the dying leaves everywhere. are dying. Darn it. It's so depressing, but it's so beautiful at the same time. I hope when I die one day that I age gracefully like the leaves do and that the beauty of my death is something that people like drive to see. I'm, <laughs> I'm already aging beautifully. I've got like the gray hairs in my chin. I'm growing, yeah, I'm starting yeah. to grow my beard back again. So that's nice. Nice. No shave November. I, I've been, uh, yeah, I, I think as guys, we're kind of lucky on that regard. Like there is something about being a guy that gives us the privilege of, I don't know why, why it is with women. I guess they bear our children and, you know, cook and clean for us uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and stuff. But uh, for whatever reason, it's like, or maybe it's just a subjective social societal change or we just stress them out. I have no idea, but it's like, for whatever reason, for most women, it's like they don't seem to enjoy the aging process quite the way we do. Like we think, get older, we look m more distinguished and mature. And we like, I think generally most guys look better as they get older. Come on though. Like, I don't think gray like hair we, on a woman is not, 
attractive. No, but we don't like, we I'm don't like, prize we don't prize a fifty year old woman at the same way we do a twenty one year old woman, but we come on. definitely prize a fifty year old man in a very different way than we do a twenty one year old man. Well that's that's a dumb cultural norm. I'm like, come on, like Kate Blanchett. Beautiful woman. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I Is think she 50? That, I she's like older than that, I think. Dang. Yeah, she's amazing. And I'm like, there's something too, like, I think, like, I'm realizing too, I'm just a sucker for, like, the intelligent woman. Maybe yeah. I'm just, maybe I just love intelligent people. But it's like, right. I, I made a tweet about that. I'm like, I'm a sucker for an intelligent woman. And I'm like, and then I, and then I posted under that. And yes, she's very smart. <laughs> but I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I think, you know, like the, I think it's in uh, Proverbs that it says that uh, gray hair is a sign of wisdom. And I'm like, that right. applies to all of the genders, like right. the, the, the spectrum without getting political. Um, right. <laughs> all right. So I've been reading like a lot of um, indigenous literature. Um, that's kind mm. of my fixation right now, probably for the next year. I've got a lot of books to read. Um I'm reading a lot about like Canadian history and, you know, a lot of what went on with our indigenous people. But did, one did of you the, guys, is your, is your, is your Canadian Thanksgiving, like American Thanksgiving, where we incorporate stories about indigenous people? Do you guys have indigenous people stories with your Thanksgiving? No, I've oh. honestly, I honestly, it's funny Thanksgiving. I'm just like, it's a good day to think about being thankful. Don't really tie it mm. to like, that guy on a ship, not going to name that yeah, person. The we, guy we with always the ship, have the... not getting political. The guy with the ship. <laughs> Elon Musk? No. Yeah. But anyways, so, so I, I, I was reading this book. It's called, and I, I don't know if I'm quoting it right, but it's like a mind poured out on the ground. And mm. the language that this author, Alicia Elliott, was talking about it's an indigenous language and I, forgive me i don't remember which language it was but their word for depression is a mind poured out on the ground and i'm like that's so beautifully poetic wow. and her writing is just like beautiful it's probably the most beautiful writing i've ever read i was i was saying to a loved one i'm like it's like the best writing I've ever read, like next to the Apostle Paul. No, <laughs> but, but anyways, okay. So she said this, I've heard people say that when you learn a people's language, you learn their culture. It tells you how they think of the world, how they experience it. That's why translation is so difficult. You have to take one way of seeing the world and translate it to another while still piecing the words together so they make sense. Mm. I would say this almost relates to what we were saying before about evangelicalism versus like the outside world. Because mm. I think there is a huge language difference going on there too. And it's like... Ooh. What is that guy's name? I forget his name. He's... Very popular religious journalist writer. Willy Wonka. No, and he's he's I believe he's gay. 
but his, mm. he was raised Jonathan Merritt. Church. I read his book. Yes. Learn to he speak God from about... scratch. Beautiful book. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That, that jog, that, that, that phrase that what you were talking about, jog that book. Uh, well, there's a lot of mind. words from the Bible that we've fossilized is what he argues. Sure. And it's like, and the nature of language is that it evolves over time. Right. And so that's kind of the thing, right? So it's like, he's in like New York and he says, I want to find a worship service. And someone looks at him like worship of what? <laughs> and he's right. from the South where everybody, a worship service is obviously a Christian worship service, right? Right. And so, but, but that's true. I mean, like the language is like, and, and I, I think I talked about this before on ADD masterminds where I, I said, like, have the humility to learn the language, like to actually learn right. the language of somebody you want to connect with kind of like love right. language, which is a whole other thing. I think there was somebody who said, yeah, this whole love languages thing is garbage. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I do find it funny well, though, people who are like, my love language is gifts. Buy me stuff. I'm like, right. Hmm, that seems kind of <laughs> sus to me. I'm all about receiving some stuff. My um, love language yeah. is a million dollars. It can be so hard to adapt though, because like, and I think I hear that especially when we hear a lot of typical Protestant, like sort of pre-canned, call the salvation type messages that we confuse with preaching the gospel. Like if some, if you were to say to somebody, well, well, the, if you wanted to get right with Jesus, then you need to be justified by faith, not counting your own righteousness as, as, as anything towards God, but as dirty rags. And unless you lean on the righteousness of Jesus and plead the blood of Christ, you know, you can't be saved. And I sit there and think about that. And like all that may be theologically true, but could you imagine if you lived in a world where that wasn't language that you were familiar with? Like, mm -hmm. it would just be like, huh? Like, like, to, like today, for example, I had to explain to my secular therapist uh, who I'm seeing, um, and uh, he, he's, he's been probing around with my history and stuff. And, you know, I went to Bible college and seminary, and he asked, well, why didn't you ever become a pastor? And you know, I got into some of the detailed reasons, but I had to, like, I was like, well, are you familiar with Pentecostalism? And he's like, are, th are those the people that handle the snakes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, Let's just I was go with like, that. Right. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and so I had to explain to him, a secular educated man, the phenomenon of being filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues. Right. And how that particular phenomenon and the exact verbiage of that particular denominational creed was something that I could not agree to, that even though I agreed with the experience, I didn't agree that tongues has to be the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, could you imagine if I had to sit there and use that language to explain to my secular therapist why I chose not to get ordained in that denomination? I'm like, and I mean, clearly, snakes is the initial evidence, <laughs> right? Because if you get bit, uh, you clearly not filled with the spirit. That's the title uh, of the podcast, you, right there. Clearly, bit, snakes is the initial evidence. Oh, uh, clearly, snakes is the initial evidence. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
I love how these things just draw out. Like, oh it's man, like, it's crazy. Like, okay, so, but that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Have the humility to learn the language. So your therapist had to have the humility to pretend he was interested in, but no, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like in order to like, and I, he wants to understand your world right? because he and, needs and to I for to his job. Him, right. But then I can't just come at him like and just blast him with it. Yeah. I had to have the humility to recognize this guy's going to think I'm a lunatic if I just tell him what's up. Exactly. And, I mean, I mean, and then he's not going to understand me on top of it. Um, so I had to break it down in a way he could understand it as somebody who I, I don't know his degree of exposure to even Christianity. Um, I'm assuming because he lives in the South, he knows a thing or two about Christianity. Um, but uh, like, you know, Pentecostalism is not exactly mainstream in a lot of, I mean, it exists. There's lots of big Pentecostal churches, but in the South, but I will say like, there's still a fringe element to it. <laughs> like, um, like usually there's like a big Pentecostal church in the city, not a bunch of little ones. Um, but uh, anyway, I digress. So it's like having to try to explain that concept to an outsider, like, you know, that was hard, but I, I thought I broke it down in such a way as he could understand it. Um, Good job, Jim. And uh, I, 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 th I think he understood me. I think he yeah. saw where I was coming from. But that's, I mean, that's the thing though, right? Like what you just were explaining though was like magic words. It's like right. saying the Literally. right magic world, <laughs> saying the right magic words to get God on our side. Right. As the Great Bridge of Watt says. I right, mean, absolutely. That was, a, that was a dope album, by the way. Dope hey, album. You need thanks. to drop another hot. Like, I know. I got to get my producers on album two. All it's right. all recorded. I'm just, yeah. Anyways. All right. Um, okay. But here's the thing. It's like, I've been thinking, I continuously think about like how I want a faith that goes beyond magic words. And I'm like, right. to be able to explain to someone like, look, I believe that God is love. Right. And I believe that I'm called to be love. I'm called right. to live a life that pursues love. And I need forgiveness when I fall short of love. And like, to me, that's, that's it. That's everything. And I mean, you can add whatever magic words to it, but I feel like sometimes we get so lost in the magic words right. that there's a series of convictions and those series of convictions become an us and them situation. And it's us versus the world. And we're talking about the saved and the lost. And then whenever I hear Christians talking about the lost, I want to say like, I, I get lost sometimes guys. Let's have a little humility, you know, like, cause right. it's like, there's kind of this whole idea I know a better love than you do. So you just shut up and listen to me explain to you all the magic words you need. Right. And I mean, Christian like, explain you. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I think it's like, I don't know. I, I think we all have a ton to learn about love. Sure. And it's like, what does love look like? And I think for me, I'm realizing that, Sometimes love looks like me laying down my convictions. Mm. And it's like, do I think God will be mad at me for laying down my convictions? 
Well, the God I know is like, that was, that was silly to begin with, <laughs> you know? And so I don't know. I think life's too short to just be grumpy and pointing your finger at people all the time. <laughs> hey, I, I, I had this, I, I had this thought. If my name was like Mike Myers, or if my name was Nicolas Cage. You'd be very rich. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be hilarious to just start autographing photos of those famous stars <laughs> with my own signature. Why not? And Nick just Cage like, actually I would it. buy that. Like, I would totally buy that right. if, if, if somebody right. did that. I'm like, I don't want Nicolas Cage's signature. I want right. the unfamous Nicolas Cage's signature because that's just hilarious. Right. Absolutely. So what is meta? It's like a virtual reality. Virtual reality. Does anybody even really know what it is? It's going to be a virtual reality where we can hang out with boomers and argue about politics. Right. We can do it virtually. Like we're there in their living room without actually being there in their living room. I'm seriously now on Facebook like once a week. I'm trying to be on it more, but I've just so lost interest. I'm just sick of the John. Then how are you going to see my how are you going to see my food pictures? Don't you post them on every social media, anyways? Yeah, I do. <laughs> no, you post the same thing on every medium, so it's all good. I know I'm not well, missing anything, I say, Jimmy. I will say, like lately, if I want to be a little edgy and controversial, I leave most of those just to Twitter, where I think people can handle it a little bit more. Because there's some edgy or controversial things I'll say, like. If I say this, my mom's going to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to have the conversation with my mom. <laughs> Facebook has all the people that you have to be friends with. Twitter, right? I only curate what I'm interested in. And so it's a right. much more positive space. I'll see someone it, tweet something. I've unfollowed so many people on Twitter too, where I'm like, I see somebody tweet something and I'm like, I don't want to argue with them. Unfollow. Right. I'm just like, I, I just can't. I will say, like, yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, ninety five percent of my Twitter friends are not my Facebook friends, and vice versa. Like, yeah, like, like Facebook is, you know, and Twitter do not over have much overlap. There's a couple yeah. people that overlap, but not many. And part of that is like, I feel like it, they attract two different crowds to some degree. It's like, yeah, you know, those overlapping circles. Uh, was it Venn diagram? Hey, um, one of the things and, I do uh, find interesting about Facebook is that I've friended people that are like, you know, a bit more famous. So like, I I love the musician Aaron Sprinkle, and I finally got up the courage to like friend him on Facebook, and he accepted it. I'm like, what? Wow. And then like, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I think most recently I discovered that Shane Claiborne actually accepted my invitation. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. But I think wow. also like my friend Paul Edgar knows him. And so that might be why, because Paul's like, mm. maybe, maybe you should have him on your podcast sometime. I'm like, I would love that. But Shane's, Shane's an interesting dude. Like I, if you talk about somebody who legitimately lives, like he's almost like a, a real life he's like a real life john the baptist but mm. I mean, you know what i mean like he kind of lives very differently from other people 
And it's like, I want to hear what he has to say because he seems so legit in everything he does. Mm. Um, anyways. But it, yeah, so meta, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm just my ready thing is, for my the red pill. My beef right now, pill. I got to say, my beef right now is that my, Mark Zuckerberg sucks at naming everything. <laughs> like it's such a meta is such a boomer name well facebook like how dumb is that name well he didn't come up with facebook that was originally somebody else's name did you ever see the movie yeah i saw that the movie did didn't he yeah. start it just to rate hotties no he didn't start it some other guys did and they hired him to program it and then that's when he double crossed them and took it over and they called it the Facebook, though. He just decided it just needed to be Facebook. Mm. Um, Genius. But, uh, yeah, like, it It definitely had – it was definitely written originally for college kids. By the um, way, Meta, I think they're getting in trouble because somebody else called their company Meta. So. <laughs> well, I've, I've already noticed that they already changed the name on the uh, stock exchange. So that, you know, ratchets it up a little bit. All right. Hey, so offensive comedy. I feel like people who defend offensive comedy are like pretty much this is what they're saying. I can say whatever I want and call it comedy. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, you know, I think it's pretty, it's lazy. To me, it's lazy to be cruel to get people to laugh. That's what I think. I don't know. I, I like I think when you start, I think comedy, like comedy needs to remain this like when when a comedy takes place in a certain context, I think it needs to be as open book as possible. Because if you start limiting what jokes people can and cannot say, like I almost liken it under book burning um like you're saying like oh these are the acceptable books these are the unacceptable books the unacceptable books go in that fiery pit over there and so i think if you start limiting comedians and what they can say then you then you're really engaging in almost a form of censorship and book burning like do you have to find everything that's said on stage funny no but i think we need to definitely grant like formal comedians. And when I say like formal comedians, I mean somebody who's getting up there and putting on an act, putting on a show. I'm not just talking about somebody who's running their lip at the schoolyard. Um, I think that's different. Um, one is an, a, an artistic performance. The other is just some punk running their lip at the school who you know is just saying whatever they want. Um, but I think that if you have it so that you, know, you start censoring what comedians can and cannot say, like you're choking the art of comedy because com comedy is in part funny because it's able to take the risk of saying the offensive thing. Um, and if, if all of a sudden there are taboos and things you can't tell jokes about, um, then I think you're getting into an area where you possibly might kill the art form itself. Well, I just... I think it's funny how people always have to defend the worst possible things to 
prove a point about freedom. And yeah, I'm like, for sure. I don't want to, I'm not a fan of this whole conversation about freedom of speech and trying to defend people that say horrible things all the time. I mean, I'm not out to legislate what a comedian can or cannot say, not getting political, but, mm -hmm. but I much rather promote responsible speech than yeah, trying sure. to defend the deplorable, you know, like, I'm like, you know what? You didn't need to well, say I that. You know, like, I'm like, I that person didn't need to say that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch the entire comedy special so I can pick it apart and say what I think they said wrong. Because yeah. also, I don't want that comedy special to get one more view. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm just yeah. like, you know, but I, I do really want to encourage people to be responsible with their speech. And I want to demonstrate being responsible with your speech because I'm like, people are always like, Oh, you should never punch down. You should only punch up. And I'm like, I don't know why we're punching to begin with. Like, I think like yeah. to say this system is silly. I get it. And even, you know what I said, I can say whatever I want and call it comedy. That's a jab. It's really a jab yeah. at people who think offensive comedy is funnier. And I'm like, yeah. it's lazy comedy. It really is. Like, I'm like, I think a good comedian can make a joke without punching someone. I think. Right. I, I, I think there's, I think you, you, you can be right about that. Um, for sure. Um, but I don't know. I like, as much as I'm like, I, I'm with you for the responsible speech. I'm also for the responsible listening. Like, we shouldn't just watch everything that appears on our TV and say, well, it's on TV, so it's okay to watch, you know? Um, like, we should be selective in not only what we say, but what we listen to. Um, but, I mean, I do think we do have to, I, I still would say, but with that caveat, I still am, like me, I will defend the most deplorable speech possible simply because I believe that men, ought, we need to, that the, the recognition of the human right to the freedom of speech, which I interpret as the right to blaspheme. Um, I, I think we need to defend even the greatest of blasphemies um, simply because if we don't defend blasphemy, then when something truly important needs to be said, there's going to be those who are going to say, no, we can't say those things around here. And it is better to let things thrive in the marketplace of ideas and to find whether or not they're welcome or to find whether or not they need to be shown the door um, through discourse and the right to engage in critical speech. Um, but with that said, like, I don't want to blaspheme. I'm not a blasphemer, I don't think. Um, but uh, I want to defend the right of somebody to say the most deplorable thing possible simply because it is important that people have that right above almost any other right. Because if we can't be a society that traffics in ideas, then I worry about what sort of society we become. What is the fruit of that conviction? defending the deplorable and saying the, it's really important that we let this person attack this group of people 
who are suicidal. It's really important that we let him say things that bring those people down further. In it's important. We the are, import, in the name of free speech. It's important that we have that right. And the, 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 the fruit of that is then we can create dialogue. So that you we think can you can say, change minds through this sure. dialogue? Do you Absolutely. think that like our we social wouldn't be where media, we are? We wouldn't be where we we wouldn't be where we are today unless we had that dialogue. We would still be believing the earth is flat if we could not have that dialogue. Do you think that like then Facebook shouldn't be doing fact checks? Uh, I have mixed opinions on what Facebook should do. Um, like, I just don't have that much hope in humanity. I've had a lot of dialogue with people I disagree with, and I used to be really good at having those conversations. And I, I now think if they, the crazy is at such a level yeah. that I'm like, I just cannot refute every argument because I feel like I, I, I have to defend right. against every conspiracy theory ever. <laughs> Because well, but you know, people I think... do not appeal to authority anymore. They right. distrust all authorities on everything, and they have a lot of faith in their own ability to comprehend things. And mm -hmm. I don't have that much faith in my own ability to comprehend things. And I, so I, I think it's better for it to be out in the open. And maybe, it, maybe Facebook should have some censorship, but look at what happens when they don't. When they don't, when they, or look what happens when they do have the censorship. It creates a group of people who all of a sudden they feel like somebody's out to get them, just like they suspected all along. So you only confirm they're, they're all out to get us bias. And that ends up forming little cliques and people on the fringes of society who continue to chat, just not in an open form where everybody else can see them. And, and so that's why they have crazy stuff. Like, I don't know if you saw it um, uh, this past week in Dallas, a bunch of QAnon Trump supporters showed up to Dallas expecting JFK Jr. to show up and endorse Donald Trump as the next president of the United States. JFK Jr. has been dead for like 15 years. Like... But they all believe because these people have been forced to the fringes and they're having their hundreds of people showed up, maybe even thousands of people showed up to downtown Dallas or wherever it was in Texas to hold banners awaiting the arrival of JFK Jr. So, like, I don't believe that group exists without people being pushed into the fringes and without people being censored and without being people being made to feel like somebody's out to get them and to shut them down. Because when you get, when you start having that, then that's when that's the fruit of that ends up being the crazies who are standing around waiting for JFK Jr. to, uh, to arrive or the crazies who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, because they believe Facebook is co-conspiring with Joe Biden and the Democrats and the communist party to take over the country. Like, and that they've had an election stolen. Um, so I think there's real danger. And when you start trying to even talk about policing the speech, I think it's better for speech to be a free for all. 
um, so that the, the mutual exchange of the most terrible ideas and the best ideas can happen. Um, because over time, when the, the best ideas are held up against the worst ideas, I believe over time, those terrible ideas will end up dying because that's just how things work when there's a mutual exchange of ideas. When you don't Everybody's have that- Everybody's got access to all the good ideas. The people who are thinking crazy have all the access to the good ideas, but they have way more access to the bad ideas. And so, I mean, like to me, I see this a lot in evangelicalism. They keep saying, I have to defend the deplorable so that we can be free enough so that good ideas can win. I don't have that much faith in humanity. I also think that this is a conviction. And when that conviction is at the forefront of everything that is your witness, I don't want your faith. But if you have that conviction that we shouldn't have that language, that, that openness, and that you don't have that faith in humanity. I'm not. Then you're, I'm, say, then you're saying you have the faith in humanity to police it. Who's going to be the ones that police it? You're putting faith in somebody to police speech at some level? No. I don't have. No. Well, I am not fighting all, against freedom of speech. I am promoting responsibility of speech. And, and I so, think the only way you can do that is a freedom of speech. <laughs> well, you can keep fighting for freedom of speech, but I don't think right. it helps anyone um, when you're saying you have to defend deplorable things. I'm like, yeah. all I see is people who are against loving speech. We want to defend the deplorable in the name of freedom. And then once we right. have all that freedom humanity will figure out what's right in their own eyes but we as a democracy will determine good things all the time and eventually love will win that way but first i need to defend evil but eventually if we allow for enough freedom love will win for me i'm just like you know what i'll let you guys argue over freedom or not freedom I'm going to continue to say, I don't know if he should have said that. Right. Because when it comes down to my atheist friend, who again seems to understand love more than a lot of Christians I know, he says, why is that on your heart to say that? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was the Holy Spirit speaking through Matt, even though he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Why is sure. that on your heart to say? And I'm like, Right. That's huh. a good question. It is a good question. And I'm like, I need to ask that question of sure. myself. And I need to look at somebody and say, why is that on his heart to say? Why does he need to attack these people? And I'm like, that's sad to me. And right. it's just amazing to me that politics has brought us to the point where we have to either being like, say, that guy needs to be canceled or I need to defend this horrible thing this person said. Because when I defend the thing that the horrible thing that this person said, you're now opposed to the person they were attacking to. And you're saying that person doesn't matter. And I'm like, that's just incredible to me that that's where Christianity's come to. 
you know? And I'm but I don't like, even think that's necessarily a Christian thing. Like, look at the, I'm sure you're familiar with the ACLU. No, like, I'm not. You know, no idea what ACLU, that is. A, so ACLU gets a pretty bad rap of being a hyper-liberal um, justice organization in America. And they are often seen as pushing an extremely liberal um, uh, narrative. And they, they, they file lawsuits over left and right, like bathroom bills, like, oh, yes, uh, transgender people should be able to use the bathroom of their choice and all that sort of stuff. Like, they're on the forefront of fighting for stuff like that in America. But at the same time, these guys will also, they have also been known as lawyers, like, not only to defend such groups and to defend abortion rights and things like that, but they've also gone and defended groups like neo-Nazis in America marching across from a synagogue and their right to do that, um, or the right of the Klan to assemble and, and to protest and the right of, uh, oh, what's that uh, crazy Baptist church people? Um, Westboro. That, you know, yeah, Westboro. Like they've defended all these lunatics and they do so not, be, not because they believe in anything these guys are saying, but because they recognize the importance of civil liberties in society um, and that those civil liberties should be respected no matter how deplorable we may deem them. And this is like a group that, like I said, tends to be on the hyper-liberal side of, uh, of progressive things. And most, most uh, Christians would not be friends with the ACLU. Um, most evangelicals wouldn't. But these people will even defend those rights because they recognize those inalienable rights as being so sacred and so important that, yes, Westboro Baptist should be able to stand outside of a soldier's funeral and protest or Yes, the Nazis should be able to praise Hitler in the middle of a uh, New York City across from the synagogue. You know, they recognize these things. And that's why, like, you're not saying that the other people don't matter. Um, they absolutely do. And they matter because they should have the right not only to have that ability to say terrible things like the Nazis do, but they should also have the right to say things back against the Nazis. Um, and that right is more important than but first, all others. And but first, you must oppose the person that they're hurting. That's the problem. That's the problem I have with this. Yeah. I'm like, there's no reason why I need to oppose the person that's being hurt. So if right. people want to argue over the civil, civil liberties, which is so funny because it's just kind of like, what does the Bible say about civil liberties? Bible speaks a lot about responsibilities. Oh yeah, for sure. Doesn't talk about civil liberties. That's a that's a concept of empire. And I think a whole lot of people who claim that the Bible is everything to them have put other things ahead of the Bible when they're more willing to fight for those deplorables and their right to do deplorable things as opposed oh, yeah, to promoting sure. love first and foremost. And that's right. that's a big problem the church has right now. Oh, yeah. like, we, we, I, we're far too American in that regard. I think we do need to have a sense in which we personally choose to lay down our rights and not to you know, pick up our rights and then taunt them at others 
Like, you know, they're like, especially like I've seen it like with the mask mandates and stuff. Like I'm not necessarily a fan of the mask mandates. Um, I, I think they're kind of counterintuitive and actually maybe might, you know, you're not going to win hearts and minds by attempting to drag people across uh, a predetermined finish line. Um, but I think that, um, you know, with that said, there are so many people who are be like, no, I'm not going to wear a mask because it's my right. And part of me is like, man, you need to wear a mask. Like, even if it's stupid, just to lay down your right. This is an opportunity to deny yourself um, and to lay down your right. And yes, it may be stupid that I go to a restaurant and I have to wear a mask for the first 10 feet I'm in the restaurant. And then when I sit down, it's like, oops, COVID doesn't exist anymore. I don't need my mask. Uh, like, or it's stupid that I went to a hockey game and I have to wear a mask at the hockey game. But if I'm eating uh, nachos and drinking beer, I'm free at the hockey game to remove my mask. But as soon as I'm done, I got to put it back on. Like, none of that makes any sense, um, logically speaking. But Well, we could stop letting people eat food in public. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> the other will... option, right? Right. But, like, these are options, like, we have. But I think at the end of the day, it's, like, people who, like, really fight against it. It's, like, you just don't want to die to self. You don't want to lay down your rights because you see your rights as an American as more important than the love that Jesus calls you to show for your enemy or for those who wrongfully persecute you or for those who misuse you and mistreat you or for those who stamp on your rights. Like there's, I mean, there's is, a place. This is all political again, though, right? Because it's like <laughs> if we give the government one inch by wearing a mask, they're going to take away all our rights and we're all going to right. get rounded up and put into boxcars and like, you know, like that's, that's it. Right. right? And that's right. kind of, and it, all of this becomes like such a slippery slope, right? It's always right. a slippery slope. And I mean, when it comes down to it, I'm like, what are my responsibilities? What are my responsibilities to my community? What are my responsibilities to, you know, to, you know, give to Caesars what's Caesars, to give to God right. what is God's. And I think a lot of times we get so stuck on the bigger picture. And I think that's what a lot of the convictions are, is that a conviction is like, oh, but the bigger picture is this. So right. if I contribute in any way to this, then I've made myself impure. And right. it's like, okay, or I've allowed this person to be impure. But in, in that situation, in that person-to-person -person interaction, are they seeing love? And I'm like, I think that's what we need to work at is figuring out how to make people see love. And so when Matt and I started talking about this particular comedy special, him saying, I think we just need to ask, why is that on your heart to say? And I mean, you could say, why is that on your heart to do? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we act out of fear. I'm afraid. Right. I'm afraid of what the broader implications are of me al allowing this to happen. I'm afraid of what the broader implications are of me you know, allowing them to say he shouldn't say that, right? Like there's, there's always these broader implications, but when it comes down to it, 
I have loved ones in my life who I know are being hurt directly by a lot of this stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And when you talk about like COVID, it's like, I know people who can't go to surgeries because our ICUs are full, but yet we still got a contingency of people that are like, the ICUs are not full. And I'm like, I don't know. The world's gone crazy. All I know is my friend can't go to surgery. So I don't know. I'm going to do what I can to try to make sure that my friend can go to surgery. And I'm less concerned about civil liberties than I am about my friend going to surgery. You know? And I mean, part of it too is you got to think, can I win this fight? If I stick to my convictions, is there any hope whatsoever that things are going to change? They're going to stop making us wear a mask at the hockey game. (laughs) And the answer is no. Right. The only thing you're going to do, and I guarantee the um, fallout of your conviction is if there's any kind of indication that you are a Christian, and there's been multiple times I've gone on Twitter and I'm like, this guy is a total, like, terrible, terrible person. I'm going to go look right. at their bio to see if it says Christian. Oh, it does. I'm not surprised, right. you know? Right. And I see so much of that. And I'm saying this as a person who, I don't attend church right now. Hmm. And so I'm one of those people on the fringes right now. And I don't like what I'm seeing. And maybe that's as a result of my own sin and people can judge me for that. But honestly, I want to pursue love and I'm finding places, I'm finding community where I can pursue love. And it doesn't look like a conventional community. And that's Mm. where I'm at right now. And so I'm like, it, it saddens me that the people that claim to follow Jesus look nothing like him. And I don't want to become like that in my criticism of people like that. Because it's like the more angry and the more you push against someone, the more likely you are to become exactly what they are. Right. And I'm realizing that. And I've been like watching the Revolution Church streams And they've been really convicting to me. And, you know, there's just a lot there because Jay um, Baker, he's a he's a progressive. But his father is very much fundamentalist. And Jay knows all about being attacked by the media continuously. And so he sees a lot of things that most people don't. And he really calls people to learn how to disagree well and work through those conversations. And in some ways, I'm not ready for those conversations. I'm like, Mm. well, I've had these arguments multiple times with people. And I know the result is that these people don't care. They don't care about people like me. They don't care about people that I love very much and I'm trying to take care of right now because their convictions tell me, their convictions tell them to write us off. And that's unfortunate because that doesn't look like Christ to me. Right. 
and it saddens me, but I want to make sure that I'm not so angry at those people that I become just as hateful because that happens. Oh, yeah, for sure. I see that all the time. I see the hate that's being spewed. I saw the hate that was spewed at Chris Pratt. And I'm like, that's so silly. Like you guys, you guys are being worse. He was trying to be, he was trying to be nice to his wife. Right. And he can't see what was wrong at all with that. And a lot of evangelicals can't see what was wrong with that. Right. And so it's like, how do we, and I think that is where Christianity really should shine is where you've got this leftist like cancel culture that's saying like, you can't say that or you can't do that. Christians can say, okay, you know what? Why is that on your heart to say, first and foremost? And second, it's like, let's figure out how we can restore you after you've messed this up, you know? Right. And I, I, I think that's maybe the sweet spot. I'm still figuring it out. I got a lot to figure out right now. But I'm I'll be there to hold your hand, John. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Over at Jimmy's <laughs> Well, thanks, Jimmy. This was good therapy. It was good. I enjoyed it, man. It's been a long time since we've done one of these. Like like we like I'm in a hotel in Raleigh tonight. I'm not in Charlotte and uh where I normally do this. And uh so it was like, oh man, ADD masterminds. It's been forever in a like my life. I've not done an ADD masterminds since my life has changed, and yeah. uh, you know, I'm very happy to be able to do this because I miss doing it. Yeah, no, it's great. I I love doing this show. It's like it usually is like a lot less serious than the Wax Museum, and I think we did have some right. light, some light moments, but this got a bit heavier too. Yeah, like this was a pretty heavy episode for ADD. Usually, <laughs> we, we we need we need to get Theosaurus Rex on here so he can say the inappropriate things and we can laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> we will have him back for sure. Yes, for sure. And the girl, the girl. I love the girl. The girl is awesome. This time she's not she's having awesome. a baby. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Thanks for listening. Love all of you, except for that one Word guy. Word to your mother. Yeah, except for that one guy. He's terrible. Thank you for listening to ADD Masterminds. We would love to keep you updated on what we're up to, as well as share some hilarious memes. We'd also like to hear from you. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>